Welcome to the Gentle Counselor Podcast, episode number 28. My name is Crystal and I'm the creator of The Gentle Counselor, where we provide online resources to support the mental health and well-being of parents and children. Today on the podcast, we have a very special guest. Sarah Moore is the founder of Dandelion Seeds Positive Parenting. She's an advocate for children and a certified positive parenting coach. And today she's going to talk to us about playful parenting. Welcome to the Gentle Counselor podcast, Sarah. Thank you so much, Crystal. I'm really glad to be here. So I know you share so much on your account about uh, positive parenting, and I know that aligns a lot with what I do with gentle and attachment parenting. So can you start off by telling us a bit about why you started Dandelion Seeds Positive Parenting and what drew you towards positive parenting more specifically? I would be happy to. And you and I are definitely kindred spirits because I didn't realize that I was an attachment parent, but much to my surprise, I certainly was one and continued to become more and more of one as my relationship with my daughter grew. So backing up about why I started Dandelion Seeds, um, I was what some would call an older mom. I had my first daughter when I was in my late 30s. I already had almost 20 years of corporate experience under my belt. And although I felt entirely competent in the corporate world, by the time I had my daughter, I really felt like a fish out of water. I really wanted to trust my instincts and do what felt right and good to me. But given that I had been a professional communicator beforehand, I'd been a negotiator, I'd been fairly high up in the ranks of corporate America, I really felt like I don't want to go into this blindly. I want to understand what I'm doing and why to really create the best possible outcomes for my child. So when my child was about four months old, I took her into her standard well check at her pediatrician's office. And I remember the pediatrician telling me completely unsolicitedly, just by the way, make sure that when your daughter cries, don't pick her up. That's not good for her development. Just don't do it. If she cries, just let her cry and she'll learn to figure it out. And with every fiber of my being that felt so terribly counterintuitive, I thought, of course, I pick up my child when she cries. It's what I've done since the very first time I held her. And it's what I want to do forevermore. And he, I didn't say much in the moment, but he could tell by the look on my face that I was not okay with what he had just said. And he challenged me on it. And in some discombobulated, uncertain, caught off guard way, I responded to him that I wasn't sure that was going to be the best approach for me. And his response to me in that moment was, and I kid you not, he said, well, feel free to come back to me when you're ready to get serious about parenting. Oh my goodness. I wish you could see my face right now. (laughs) That is insane. It's probably about what my face looked like when he said it to me in the moment. (laughs) Flabbergasted doesn't do it justice. I was totally floored. 
And needless to say, I didn't care how many degrees and diplomas he had up on his wall. He was the founder of this incredibly well-respected practice in the town where I was living at the time. And, you know, the whole, whole world seemed to flock to him for advice. But I thought, never again will I ever trust this man to lay a single finger on my child, no matter how much he knows about medicine. This is not someone who I trust from my mama instinct. So his words ended up being a wonderful, wonderful gift for me. Because frankly, to be honest, for, for probably a good month after that, I stewed, I fumed, I was livid, I was irate. What other adjectives can I think of that would sum up how I felt towards him and the parenting that felt right for me? But his words stuck with me. Let me know when you're ready to get serious about parenting. And the way that it turned into a gift is I thought, you know what, I am going to get serious about parenting, all right. I'm going to research why it is okay to pick up my baby. I'm going to research why it is okay to breastfeed for as long as I choose to breastfeed without this magical cutoff of one year because she hits one year old. I'm going to research every single part of parenting that feels right to me. I'm going to challenge myself. I'm going to check whether I'm just making it all up and I've lost my marbles or if there's actually some science behind this intuition that I have. So that ended up being the impetus for why I founded Dandelion Seeds Positive Parenting, because I thought this man is speaking to so many parents in my area, and I know that he has a clone in every other city around the world giving equally bad advice to new parents out there. I want to empower parents to truly get serious about parenting, knowing that they can indeed be responsive to and loving towards their new little humans and know that that is perfectly well documented to be backed by science and the right thing to do for our children. What a roller coaster of a story that is to how you got here. And I love that you were able to take that experience and just let it fully propel you into the world of positive parenting and, of course, creating your business, which is very exciting. And that just really highlights one of the big issues that we face is all these vulnerable families and parents that go to their doctors who we are taught to fully trust and communicate with regularly, especially when it comes to the well-being and health of our family. But often what happens in those meetings is you're also talking about general things like parenting or if you're worried about your mental health. And like you said, there is going to be a doctor like that anywhere you go. And I always worry about those families that kind of fall through the cracks or the ones that don't realize they're allowed to go and get a second opinion. They're allowed to see a different doctor let alone know that there's other ways to parent than being told that we should separate and ignore them. Exactly, exactly. And to be clear, you know, this is certainly no disrespect to the doctors that are out there because, you know, if it weren't for doctors, I wouldn't still be here. So I have a huge level of respect for the medical community. But, you know, I also want to underscore the importance of Gentle parenting really is valid, and parenting advice is totally separate from things like, you know, is your baby growing correctly? 
So it's a really separate entity. And I think a lot of parents think that just because they ask a doctor a question that he or she has all of the answers about all of these topics. And frankly, they sometimes do, but they sometimes don't. So check around. Exactly. And it's sort of like go to the people that are the experts in in their area or sticking to their place of expertise because we should be going to them for health advice. And it would, of course, be nice if we could get some sort of parenting support from them, but it's just going to be really different and not something that is going to be the same everywhere because they're either going to have their own personal experiences with parenting and what worked for them, or maybe they just read one article on how cried out doesn't do damage or, or whatever, you know, people like to title some articles that are misleading and I'm sure they're not sitting in their universities studying all the different parenting styles. So it really just depends on what your morals and values are and you need to find someone that aligns with that. And I remember even having the conversation with my doctor about breastfeeding and I basically just had to set a firm boundary with her saying, I am going to be following the WHO guidelines of two years and beyond. And that was sort of my way of letting her know my expectation of, so you're either going to be quiet or you're going to support me. Yes, very good. And good for you for speaking up. A lot of times doctors or relatives, in-laws, whoever it may be, simply don't know what the latest research says. So it, it can always be a respectful discussion. Yeah. And I think we also had something similar when it came to sleep where I think my response just, that doesn't feel right for us. Sort of similar to what you said is, it can be really hard though to speak up. And this is easier said than done. And I'm usually not someone that can be very good and assertive in the moment. It's something that's taken me a while to practice, but I actually also think becoming a parent has helped me do that because you have to advocate for your children. They can't speak up in that meeting in front of that doctor saying, um, excuse me, I don't agree with my mom not coming to get me when I'm crying. <laughs> right. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about why play is so important for children. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, certainly. As children get beyond the baby stage, start to see these emergent toddlers and beyond engaging almost incessantly in one form of play or another, be it, you know, with little figurines or, of course, when they're much younger, you know, stacking things. It's all play in lots of different forms throughout the day. And as they play, play is the primary method that enables brain growth and learning. Play is how they learn about the world. Play is how they assimilate the information that they are learning. It's how they make sense of their everyday situations, big and small. Everything from what is this process that we go through between dinner time and bedtime, there might be play around that, to, oh my goodness, the dog has fallen ill and we need to make a big decision as a family. You know, play is for big things, for small things, and everything in between. It is the singular language of children when it comes to helping them thrive in a way that best benefits their brain development as they continue to grow. Sorry, I just had to mute myself for a moment because the pipes in the walls were making a horrible screeching sound in my office. <laughs> no problem. Um, 
I really like that you touched on how play can be for so many different areas, whether it's something happy, like just general play and excitement in the household, or for those times where we can use play to help our children either learn something new or transition through a period that could be overwhelming or upsetting, such as losing a pet. And that's something that I've had quite a few people come to me about recently, actually, is finding ways to help our children through that, because that is something that a lot of families do go through when we have family pets. Yes, absolutely. And frankly, and I don't mean to derail the conversation, but we lost a family pet when my daughter was about three years old. And of course, it was a very hard thing for all of us to go through. But it ended up being such a gift to prepare her for other things that we would encounter down the road. For example, when my grandfather died, she already sort of had a basis for understanding. And it was much easier to process it from the perspective of a pet first before it moved on to a human who she knew and wanted to know better and so on down the line. So play is really a part of all of these discussions. And when, you know, I'm I'm sure there's somebody listening to this going, what do you mean play about death? That sounds terribly macabre. Well, for kids, it's not. For kids, it's assimilating the information and helping them make sense of it in a way that is both emotionally safe for them, but also beneficial to how they understand what's really going on. It's not lost in translation to them. We think of play being separate from real life. For them, it's not. For them, it's all one and the same. Right. And that's why we have things like play therapy, because that is how children are able to process what is happening in their lives and process their emotions in a way that is directed by where they are currently at, at that point in time in their development and their age and their understanding and their capabilities, but also in a safe environment where we can help guide them so that they're able to get from point A to point B and we can scaffold that learning and understanding for them. And sometimes I get parents talking to me about how either their child doesn't play independently or they feel like they're having to constantly play with their children all day. Do you have any advice for parents like that? Because I know that that's something I struggled with when I first became a parent, especially around the toddler ages of two to three, where you feel like you can never get a moment to yourself because you always have this little person following you around. Yes, yes, exactly. There are so many different directions I could take that. First of all, I see you parents who feel that way. I know that it feels like it's going to last forever and it does feel tricky and it can feel really overwhelming. So sometimes we really need to weave in miniature versions of self-care throughout the day. It might just mean I slow down and I pick up my cup of tea with both hands and I simply feel the warmth going into my hands for a couple of minutes, knowing that within 20 seconds, there's going to be a little person clamoring for my lap. But I am consciously aware of I'm holding my tea. This is my safe space for as long as it's going to last. So we need to really be taking good care of ourselves during those days, months, or years that feel like they are never going to end. Um, As for independent play and ways to encourage it, certainly a lot of us have been guilty of overparenting, overplaying, and kind of accidentally training our children that they can't play without us. So it's certainly much easier if we go into parenting from the start, giving our children 
time to explore on their own each day. I don't mean unsupervised, of course you stay with your child, but there is all sort of benefit to, let's take a six month old for example, to putting a six month old on the ground with a pile of blocks or you know some version thereof and just sitting back quietly and reading a book right next to them while they explore, can I bang these together? What am I doing with these objects? And then you continue doing that. The child is then a year old and you know, for us it was cans of cat food. I remember one day my daughter got incredibly quiet. And of course, many of us are inclined to panic when there's quiet in the house, but I turned around and realized that she had built a cat food tower that was taller than she was. And I thought, you know what, that is beautiful, self-directed, independent play. So did I have to plan the cat food? No, frankly, I just had to be lazy. We had just gotten a shipment in the mail and I had left it out on the kitchen floor. I just hadn't put it away. So, you know, it's perfectly okay to let children explore with safe access to everyday objects. Just trust them to do with it what they will. Certainly the, um, you know, the safe plastic or environmentally friendly version thereof, uh, you know, Tupperware type bins that we keep in our cabinets, those can be endless hours of entertainment for children. If you can practice giving your child time to explore with these elements, these loose parts, if you will, throughout the day, and the more the children get comfortable with their own process without the adult diving in saying, oh, here's how you color. Let me show you. This is how you hold the crayon, and this is how you draw a kitty or a dog or a llama or a kangaroo, whatever it may be. You know, this is not something that we need to direct all the time. That way, it also helps save up our energy stores so that when the child is tired of stacking the cat food cans or with playing with the blocks, whatever it may be, then we have a little bit left in us to say, sure, if you want to color for a while, here are a bunch of crayons and let's see what you do with them. I don't need to show you how to draw anything. If you're little and you can pick up a crayon and know that coloring happens on the paper as opposed to on the wall, we're good here. I'm so appreciative that you say that because for a long time, my daughter's favorite toy was literally my empty plastic water bottle and she would entertain herself for so long with it and basically get to the point of fighting me over the water bottle whenever I was finished drinking with it. And it just showed me how much they don't need because we get so caught up, you know, with planning during pregnancy and the baby showers and when the baby's here and there's all these Pinterest boards and lists of all these things you need for your children. And really they don't actually need much and they can be very good at finding ways to stimulate and engage themselves in some sort of play or activity. And that can look different for every child. And it can also look very different to what we think play should look like. And a lot of the times I get parents upset that either they don't enjoy playing with their children, not because they don't want to be with their child. It's more because they don't feel like playing with Barbies or they feel a little bit awkward about it, or they kind of struggle to get creative and playful in that sense. And usually what I say to them is find the play that you do like to do. If you like to roughhouse with your child, do that. That's playing with them. If you don't want to play Barbies with your child, that's okay. Find something else to do. Play can also be cooking in the kitchen together. It can be going for a walk and pointing out the different birds in the trees. There's lots of different ways that 
you can play with your children that doesn't necessarily involve sitting down with an activity or an object to simply focus on. And I think that also comes into one of the myths about being either a gentle or attachment parent is that people think we're supposed to be with our children 24 seven and constantly engaged with them. But that isn't necessarily good for their attachment either. Um, For those that are familiar with the attachment styles, that's where more the ambivalent or the anxious one could come into play, where we're kind of disrupting our children. We're disrupting the cycles that they're going through by injecting ourselves into their lives because a lot of times they can be just content on their own for a little bit, or they might tell you they're bored. And then two seconds later, they've found something outside in the garden that's kept them entertained. Or like you said, they found the shipment of the cat food cans and now they're building a tower. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. And it's so funny that you mentioned Pinterest. I am probably, even though I'm on Pinterest and I, you know, pin images and do all of the good business things on Pinterest. um, So people can certainly find me there. I am so not the Pinterest mum. I don't have the perfect looking bento box lunchbox. I don't have perfectly you know, organized crafts all over the house. I have piles of paper. We have stuff around. And frankly, today, you know, we just put up our our Christmas tree yesterday, a little early, but, you know, we need a little early Christmas this year. And my daughter spent a good part of the day just taking her little toy mouse and having her mouse explore the branches of the tree. And she's old enough that she's safe with the tree without being totally supervised the whole time. And the other part that I love that you mentioned is that you're absolutely right. It is not necessarily healthy or normal for a parent or child to be together 24-7. If our child is happy doing whatever it is they're doing, let them play. We often feel this need to entertain. And to your point, we're not the you know drop-in comedy act for entertaining our children, we can just live alongside them and let the play happen organically. Might be Barbies. And, you know, one thing I wanted to mention about that, my version of Barbies in my house is Legos. I don't have a lot of enjoyment, read that, any enjoyment for playing Legos. (laughs) My daughter loves them, however, and Legos are basically the bane of my existence. I do not enjoy them. And I, I feel kind of badly saying that, but it is what it is. I accept myself for that. But one of my mantras in parenting that has proven exceptionally helpful when I find myself in one of those moments where it's important to her to play with me in a way that I don't really feel like playing, one of the things I say is I can do this for 10 minutes. I don't necessarily say that out loud to her because 10 minutes, who cares? You know, she's a little, she doesn't care what 10 minutes is. But if I think I can do this for 10 minutes and then I can check in with myself and see, do I have emotionally or logistically another 10 minutes to do this? Or can I now excuse myself to do something else for a little while, but I have filled her bucket by offering her 10 minutes of my time to do something that brings joy to her. So it is perfectly all right to give yourself check-in points when you find yourself doing something that you don't love. And sometimes it's okay to find another activity if one is definitely in your no-go zone as well. That's such a good tip. And I know I have done that myself as well, because either it was recognizing her need for connection And just thinking, okay, I know I need to get this huge list of other things done, but right now I'm going to first focus on her for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is that I can spare. And either half the time I would end up 
realizing I was enjoying it and then just completely engage in the play anyway. Or if I did that check-in again, like you said, and realized, nope, I'm okay to move on now. At least I had met some of that unmet need that she was having and I could continue on. But often what I realized ended up happening was she would just come along with me anyway. And for example, if it was cleaning, I would simply hand her a cloth and she would happily go and clean a window. Or if I'm trying to put away groceries, I would hand her something that she was capable of putting away. And it was just trying to find different ways to make it work for us in that moment. Because the reality is things do need to get done around the house. So we can't necessarily expect parents to drop everything and simply be with their children. And I know some people like to do that, but for some of us, we do have things to get done. And so it's about finding that balance and it's going to look different for everyone. It's finding that balance between meeting your child's needs, meeting your own needs. And then also within that, making sure that you're being the attachment or gentle or positive parent that you want to be, but that you're also fostering your child's growth for their own independence. Exactly. Yeah. And what a lot of parents don't realize simply because they haven't had enough opportunity to practice it is that if they invest those 10 or 15 minutes, and when I say invest, I mean truly invest in it, phones down and put away, not multitasking, not making the to-do list of what to do when the 10 minutes are up, but truly and fully invest in that child for however long that time period is, those 10 minutes may just fill your child's bucket enough that you've just bought yourself 30 minutes or an hour uninterrupted because your child feels like, yeah, I had that quality time and now I'm good for a while, rather than this disjointed connection that we sometimes try to do with, oh yeah, I'm playing Barbies with you or Legos or whatever, but I have my phone in one hand and I'm not all there. That's not true connection and I'm guilty of that a lot of the time, I will confess that. But if we can remember to focus when we're going to focus, it does wonders for the connection and for the child's independence in the long run. Right. And I think it also looks different at each age because I'm thinking back to when my daughter was obviously a a baby and a young toddler. How I talk to her now is completely different because she's able to understand and talk back and have a conversation with me now because she's four. So she's a little bit older. And what I found is then it started transitioning to me being, I guess, honest with her and talking her about what had to be done. So I was very conscious of my language instead of saying no all the time, because it's so easy to say no, but it's also very harsh to say no and kids don't like hearing no. So I made sure to practice switching that to a yes. So instead of saying, no, I can't play right now, I would say, yes, I can play after I've put the shopping away. Or yes, I can play after I've had my breakfast because a lot of the times they want to play right when you finally sat down with your hot cup of coffee or your meal that you've been waiting all morning (laughs) to eat. And through that, that has really helped her understand, oh, mum also has needs and things to do sometimes. And sometimes I just have to be a little bit patient and wait. And she's so good with it now. And she'll even come and check in with me and say, oh, you finished your coffee. Are you ready to play now? (laughs) And I'll say yes, because I want her to know that when I've said something as well, that I'm going to follow through and be consistent and predictable in that way as well. So that's also another way that I've made sure to find a way that works for us. 
Beautiful. Yes. In fact, we are definitely kindred spirits. I do the same thing. And I have a whole blog post about changing no's to yeses for that very reason. It really does help build a growth mindset and all of these other buzz phrases that we have these days. But, you know, in, in plain English, it just helps build connection and hope for kids who feel like, do I actually get connection time with you? Yes, I do. I know when to expect it and how it's going to look. And we can get so overwhelmed. Like you said, being the Pinterest mom, I was laughing a lot when you were saying that because, oh, my goodness, I had so many plans to be a Pinterest mom and <laughs> all these beautiful activities and play things that are set up. And I've just realized that's just not me. And it took me quite a while to accept that that wasn't something I was going to be able to do, whether it was a time or an energy thing, um, especially for those that are struggling with their own mental health. That's just going to add another layer of pressure on you that you may not want to deal with in those moments where you're finding it really tough and you're just needing to be in survival mode. So to end our podcast, because I know we've been chatting for a long time and we could keep chatting about this topic, do you have any final practical steps or advice for parents who are listening? Sure. I think the best advice that I can give any parent, frankly, on any topic related to parenting is trust your child. You don't need frankly, any parenting book that is out there. You don't need any parenting podcast. You don't need any parenting blog or advice. And that said, I know that we're the ones doing the podcast <laughs> and writing the book and doing the blog. We do all these things. We are good resources. But the very, very best teacher you could ever possibly have is the child in front of you. So if your child says, here's what I need, verbally or non-verbally, trust that that is indeed what your child needs. Just like when they're growing up and they say, yes, mom, I can climb the steps by myself, or yes, I can jump off this rock and make it over the puddle. You know, whatever it is, these moments where we feel like, should I trust them to do this? This seems like a big step. You know, are they really telling me what they can do or what they want to do? Kids always tell us what they need and always when we listen and when we, when we respond lovingly and compassionately and truly seeing their perspective, we will never go wrong. That really is some beautiful advice, Sarah. Thank you so much for that because it really does highlight, I feel like that real key core of why it is that we do what we do is that, yes, we are providing this information and resources for you. However, everyone is unique. You're uniquely made, your child's uniquely made, and then the dynamic in your relationship is uniquely made as well. And as long as we remember that our children are, whether obviously or hidden, telling us exactly what they need and what they want, but as long as we're tapping into that as much as we can, we will be able to find a way to make it work for everyone. Exactly, exactly. And to be clear, your podcast is wonderful. And there's certainly <laughs> lots of great resources out there. So and to be clear, definitely make sure you go and check out Sarah's Instagram <laughs> as well, because there's a wealth of information. And I know I'm constantly sharing her posts in my stories. And on that note, Sarah, could you actually please share with everyone where they can find you for more information? Absolutely. Well, my website is dandelionseeds.com. There is a hyphen in between dandelion and seeds. So dandelion-seeds.com. On there, you will find right now for free access to all sorts of expert interviews from around the world. I have found some of truly the best of the best parenting experts anywhere. And my list is constantly growing. And right now I have those for free for anybody who logs into the website. 
I also am offering a series of mini courses. I have more than 20 out there. I take suggestions based on what people tell me they need, and you can get one of those for free as well on my website. So those are um, website offers for you. On Facebook, I'm on Dandelion Seeds Positive Parenting. On Instagram, I'm Dandelion Seeds Positive Living, just because parenting wouldn't fit. Um, and on Pinterest and Twitter, Dandelion Seeds Positive Parenting as well. So happy to take requests for what parents need and I will gladly build whatever you need or find a resource who can speak to whatever topic it is. And I'm just glad to be there in whatever way I can support you. And I'll make sure to have all of those linked down below in the show notes as well. Thank you so much again, Sarah, for being a guest on today's podcast. And I hope that everyone listening has a little bit more information and confidence around playing with their children. Thank you so much.